You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 152 of the Comic Book Informer podcast coming to you on December 17th. And it's always one of our favorite episodes when we get to talk about some Spider-Man. Well, it's not superior. Let's not get too excited. That's fine, then. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> Plus, it's just leading up to the same story we've already covered once, and I know you just want to talk about it again. No. Yes. It's completely unrelated. Your love affair with Craven. <laughs> is known by all. (laughs) So if anybody recalls last week, I was talking about uh, Spider-Man's villains and how specifically they really make Peter himself that much more of an interesting character because all of his villains are that much more fleshed out. And I've always said that you can't have a good hero without good villains. And a lot of my favorite heroes have some of the best villains out there, Spider-Man, X-Men, stuff like that. I think that's one of the reasons why I don't even like Superman. (laughs) I think that's a contributing factor because as awesome as Lex Luthor is, that's about it on the villain front, at least as far as interesting ones are concerned. I actually won't disagree with you on that one, yeah. So I decided we were going to take a look at some villain-centric Spider-Man stories And this is something I've wanted to bring up a couple times over the years and just never could quite fit it in. And I decided now's a good time. And we're talking about the Gauntlet storyline from Amazing Spider-Man from back in 2009. And the Gauntlet was huge. It ran from issues 612 up to 633. And as Roger mentioned, it is the event that was leading into uh, Grim Hunt, which we covered some time ago. Feel free to dig through the archives. (laughs) And... This was a huge deal because it was during the brand new day era of Amazing Spider-Man, which as bad as one more day was, it did legitimately lead to a whole bunch of really good comics. Marvel got together a great team of all-star writers. I mean, Mark Wade, Joe Kelly, Dan Slott, uh, Fred Van Lenty. I mean, there was just a a murderer's row of great writers that were just cranking out Spider-Man story one after the other. But the interesting thing was at first – There was an editorial mandate that they could not use any of Spider-Man's traditional villains. They either had to, you know, bring back, you know, some obscure stuff or create new villains to put up against Peter. And it led to some fun stories, some interesting new characters, uh, some great reinventions of long forgotten villains. But it also led to this great anticipation among the fans because it was only a matter of time. I mean, you can only write so many Spider-Man issues without the Green Goblin in it and so on. And it was all leading up to this big event where the Kravenovs were basically sending all of Spider-Man's greatest villains after him, one after another, to try and break him down and just you know, ruin his life before the Grim Hunt started. And we're talking about three specifically that before, you know, when and I remember it as being some of the, the best of the bunch. That's specifically the Sandman story, the Rhino story, and the Lizard story. Now, before we get into that, did you happen to read any of the others by chance, Roger? You know me better than that. I read all of them. Okay. Uh, some thoughts on the other ones? Um, in all honesty, the I wasn't crazy about the Electro one, the which is the first one. It was... Mm-hmm. 
maybe it's because it was very much in that time. So you have all of the bailout stuff going on. And then the frenzy the of everybody following Electro because he's this power to the people kind of person speaking out against the bailout. And it far too often when you're taking something that's very much grounded in a period of time, it can lose a lot of its appeal later on. Sure, it grounds it in reality in the moment, but later on it's like, uh, you know what? I heard so much, read so much on this when it was happening. I don't need it invading the comic books as well. And it comes off just as you really, really got little respect for people and think of them only as followers. If Electro can get a crowd going this wild. So I really didn't enjoy the Electro one at all. Mm-hmm. And then what's the other one that uh, you didn't, that we're not covering? Then? See, there there was a Vulture one with the, the new oh, Vulture. Yes. It wasn't yeah. a classic Vulture. Yeah, that one I, I did. Obviously, I read that one as well. I'm trying to remember who was, damn it, I can't remember now. I remember, no, honestly, it was, yeah, because it was the new Vulture, and no, yeah, I wasn't crazy about that one either, if memory yeah, that, serves. Yeah, that one wasn't all that great. That that was the big plot development of uh, Peter doctoring the photos in order to project, protect That's Jonah, That's what it though. was. That's right. Yeah, no, I, mm, mm. there was also the Mysterio one, too. Yeah. That one I that, actually uh, I believe that kind of tied in with the Mr. Negative stuff as well, right? Yeah, because there was a lot of stuff that was going on with May at the time as well and mm-hmm. then you had what was going on not just with me but with like the mafia was you had all this stuff going on with the mafia pretending like they'd been offed and then fighting against negatives crew and and whatnot um you also had a lot going on between peter and carly and that was kind of like the start of that which was fun yeah. because I hadn't read that. So I had only seen it much later on when Slot was handling it. And so it was kind of nice to see the origin of how that relationship started. <laughs> and in typical Peter fashion, not very well. <laughs> and <laughs> and would- I, I, I also seem to remember there is a, uh, I think it was a one-shot Scorpion story that, like I said, I haven't read it since it first came out. But I remember enjoying it at the time. Okay, yeah, it wasn't in these here that I read. I did enjoy the stuff with May, just as one final point on that. The stuff with May, when she gets turned into a badass. (laughs) By May, as she was being referred to. That was freaking awesome. Saying everything that you as a parent would have thought to say as Peter was growing (laughs) up. So that led to some interesting scenes. Yeah, for those that aren't aware, Aunt May at the time was volunteering at this... uh, at soup kitchen it was and uh it was being run by the guy who turned out to be mr negative the crime boss and through part of his powers he was able to kind of you know reverse people's mentalities and things and he turned aunt may like got, basically removed her inhibition filter and when you have peter parker as a nephew there's a lot of things you hold back over the years well not just that but the people that he associates with so you had had norman osborn who was um, who basically, by no fault of his own, just because he's Norman Osborn. No, it wasn't Norman. It was, uh, it was what's his name, Osborn, his kid. Harry. Uh, yeah, Harry's staying at her place, and her place got trashed <laughs> and everything. And it was, so she's taking it out on him. So, yeah, there was a lot of amazing stuff. And in, in typical, you know, 
God, I love May fashion. When you get to the end and she breaks through it because she's so goddamn nice. <laughs> and so she <laughs> she breaks the spell. And I am I actually am looking over the um the vulture stuff again, just reminding myself which issues it was. And yeah, no, I recall this one and I didn't think much of it as I read it. Yeah, it, it wasn't all that special. That's why everybody was kind of happy when Punisher killed him off yeah, <laughs> not that long ago. Do we really need a supervillain whose power is puking? I think not. <laughs> all right, on to the ones I actually wanted to cover, though. Uh, first of all, we have the Sandman story. It was titled uh, Kamiya's Castle. It was uh, only two issues, ran through 615 and th- 616, written by Fred Van Lanty, art by Javier Polito and Javier Rodriguez. And this is actually kind of funny because we were just talking about Spider-Man Reign not that long ago. I guess all you have to do to make Sandman like a really interesting and great character is give him a kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although, as we saw in this story, it doesn't even need to be his, his own kid. <laughs> which begs the question, how is the other one his kid if the reference in here is he can't be a parent because, well, the parts don't work the same with him? It, alternate future. Time travel. Okay, fine. <laughs> you got a better answer? I guess not, no. All right, so the story starts off with this little girl, Kimia, living in, you know, this ghost town, if you will, and just loving life because, you know, everything she would ever want is there for her. You know, she can go to the movies, she can go to the park, she can eat whatever she wants because her daddy, the king of the kingdom, takes care of her. As we find out, uh, her daddy is, you know, Flint Marco, the Sandman. And this all comes out through uh, – actually, I really liked the the whole little murder investigation thing they had going on here with Spider-Man. How, you know, Carly was under pressure that, you know, the evidence had been misplaced. And this was before they'd really formed a romantic relationship. They were, you know, just friends, blah, blah, blah. But it was funny because you have Pete doing all this detective work, which isn't something we normally see out of Spider-Man. And they even did the little Batman gag. Uh, he was talking to, uh, was it Betty Brant? Yes. And she, she was giving him the information and she turns around and he's gone. The window's open. But he's just standing over her other shoulder. She's, <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. A nice little nod to Batman. And it looks like Sandman is the one who performed all these murders. So uh, Spider-Man tracks him down, finds out he's on Governor's Island, which is now known as Spider Island. <laughs> And he's built this gigantic sand castle, if you will. He, you know, he's, he's leveled up his powers. He, he can move incredible amounts of sand. He has total control over this island, even to the point where he's now able to make his own sand clones and just kicking the crap out of Spider-Man because he just wants to protect this little girl. Uh, her mother was some sort of supervillain groupie, if you will, and was just writing all of these, you know, became pen pals to basically any supervillain in prison. It's something that interested her, excited her, what have you. And presumably some supervillain somewhere is the father of this little girl and nobody knows who it is. But the letters were actually, you know, touching enough to Marco that, you know, he saw this little girl growing up without a father and decided that even if she wasn't his daughter, he was going to raise her. And that aspect of the character... We've seen it in a couple stories now, and it just gives him so much depth. It actually, you know, gives gives him something relatable to, and not just you know, a bank robber. 
not just that, but these clones that he makes that become sentient add this whole new dimension as well. Because now all of a sudden, it's not just, you know, that one part of him that you see as the stereotypical, again, bank robber kind of thing. And it's not just this other person, this wants to be a parent and wants a better life for himself and to care for someone. But now you've got all these other little facets, these little parts of his personality that are represented in these clones. So you have the psychotic killers and all kinds of stuff like that. And I really dug that. That was fun. Yeah, it made it me think you... of Iceman in what we read just recently <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff. It makes you realize that, you know, he may be a bad guy, but he could be a worse yeah. guy and he chooses not to. Well, not just that, but it goes both ways. Because again, with the stuff with the daughter, it True. leads you to believe, what if he was just left alone? Just put him somewhere to raise a kid and give her the most amazing palace possible kind of thing <laughs> in life. And he could actually, there's a potential for him to be a good dad. So it really adds like a ton of depth. Like we've seen, he's turning into, as I read more and more of these stories, like one of my favorite villains for, for Spider-Man, just because in the hands of a good writer, my God, he's got a ton of depth. Mm-hmm. We even saw he was one of the few good parts of the third Spider-Man movie. Like, I actually liked a lot of the stuff with Sandman in that movie. I'm trying Nothing. to remember. <laughs> okay. It's, it was that forgettable. Yeah, it, is a, he, it was still a bad movie. But I, I think that there, if they had focused the movie more solely around him, it could have been interesting. So as we come to find out, yeah, the, the, the sand clones have gained sentience. They're the ones that were actually murdering people. That's why the murder weapons disappeared. They were just made out of sand. And it, you can see that, yeah, Marco is not happy about this. And I don't know if he, you know, he's just upset that you know, his clones are killing people or you know, the realization that it's something that you know, he could theoretically be capable of since they're aspects of his personality. Yeah. So eventually, you know, Spider-Man wins the day, defeats the villain, saves the little girl. And this is what we saw a lot during the storyline. Even when Spider-Man wins, he loses. He I mean, that's never frequent. <laughs> that's frequent for Spider-Man. But they made it more of a story point in, in the gauntlet here where he brings the little girl back, you know, hands her over to the authorities, thinks he's going to go back to her grandmother. And, and now kid's going into foster care. And I, I wish – Dan Slott could actually bring this girl back up at some point because the scene where you see her going into foster care and you know her life's going to suck, but she's a princess. <laughs> you know, her, her, her daddy's a king. One day she'll, she'll have her kingdom again. I, I want to see Kimia show up some, somewhere down the line and this is, you know, see how her character has developed. This here, these two issues, were actually a villain origin story for her. That's what this was. <laughs> this is when people say, how the hell did that villain come about these two issues? Make it happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm behind that. The only thing I hated about this was the art. I'm not yeah. a fan of his art. This is at the point where Amazing Spider-Man was shipping three times a month. So you had more artists than I can name working on it. Some of them were fantastic. Some of them weren't. Hell, we had Piccolo working on stuff. Oh, that was awesome. Save it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Because next up, we have the rhino story, another two-parter. Uh, the first issue was Rage of the Rhino. Second issue was Endangered Species. It actually started in 617 and then took a break for them to tell other stories and then picked back up again at 625. And I remember I was reading all of these as they first came out. I read the first part and I was like, okay, that was pretty good. And then I'd forgotten about it by the time they came back around. I was like, oh, yeah, we still have this whole rhino thing going on. And in my eyes, it was Awesome. Written by Joe Kelly, art by Max Fiumara and Fabio D'Aria. And again, it shows a character who previously had very little depth being given a personality, being relatable, being somebody who even Peter can you know start to believe in, start, start to think isn't such a bad guy. And Parker Luck, I mean, it just all goes horribly, horribly bad. This was my favorite of all of them. Mm-hmm. This was... This was phenomenal. I mean, you're tying in so many different things and you're, you're again, giving him a lot of backstory and you're making him such a well-rounded character, tossing in all of the immigration status stuff and the, 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 the woman that he's with and wanting to do right by her, even if it means becoming a coward or, sh- or appearing as a coward and, and, and him also aging and not being, you know, the the young brash villain that he was before there is so much going on in this story not to mention what was also going on with peter at the time and then the stuff between him and what's her face the reporter blonde chick that wants him nora nora so i mean you had a lot going on there and it just made for really good little story arc and i loved that there was that pause there was the passage of time where it feels like he's getting a little bit of a break from that kind of thing. Hey, it just comes back to bite him in the ass. <laughs> yeah, I, I've said before, Joe Kelly is one of the best comic writers that doesn't write comics. <laughs> he, he only shows up once every couple of years to just drop something amazing on the rest of us and then walk off into the sunset and go write cartoons again. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, so uh, the basic story here is the uh, the former Rhino now, Alexei Sistovich, has uh, – Retired. He's, uh, I don't know if he's married to the girl, uh, but, you know, he has a nice relationship with this woman, Oksana. Uh, Spider-Man is, you know, out on a night on the town with Nora investigating this casino. Comes across Alexi as a security guard at the casino. And this was so good. This one little scene gave so much to this story because here's Peter seeing one of his longtime villains. Well, obviously, he's can't say as much because he's in a civilian persona but you know spider sense is tingling he's you know on his guard and alexi is just the most proper like he's a gentleman he's cracking jokes this is an aspect of the character we had never seen before and instantly it makes him more interesting it makes us as the readers start to come all around to his side like this guy's you know spider-man has made a living out of making fun of his villains and here's a villain that's kind of throwing some of it back in his face i loved that well it wasn't just that too because it's all well and good to take a, a villain and put a spin on him just for the sake of trying something different or interesting you know try to revive some interest in him kind of like again with sandman with the the, the child and different things like that but it has to be something that's believable and it has to be something that's well enough written that you can follow along and say, yeah, that makes sense. I, I can totally buy that this would happen. And with this character, I mean, you're, you're skating a you know, very thin line there. It's like it, it could go either way, but it's handled so well in the scenes with him 
and how often you can see like when 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 spider-man is talking to him when he followed him out kind of thing and he put the tracker on him and they're they're talking and he has the appearance though he's happy in the life that he has with his wife of also having been beaten kind of thing Mm -hmm. and having submitted to this life and you see that in actually the backstory as well where you see him in prison and not trying to escape and not and all this other stuff kind of thing so all of this leads to to you believing that yeah this is possible i i believe that this is the old rhino kind of thing which again brilliant writing mm-hmm. so in the story we actually have a new rhino coming around who is immensely powerful but refuses to consider themselves the rhino until they can defeat the old one. You know, show that you're superior, claim his skin, which was just creepy every time he kept saying it and, and wanted to be the one true rhino. And the entire time, Alexi just refuses to give in. He's playing the pacifist. You know, he is out of that life, even to the point where, like, like you said, he tells Spider-Man, like he, he was actually kind of ready to go into it. And Peter talked him out of it. It's like, no, no, let me handle this. And, you know, you have, uh, you know, a woman to care about now. And that's when you say he says for her, I can be a coward to the point where later on in the story, when the new rhino attacks the uh, immigration ceremony where Oksana is finally becoming a U.S. citizen. And God, I love Jonah in that scene, but you know, it's, it's kind of hard not to love Jonah a lot of the points some of these writers are behind him. And he challenges the new rhino to a fight. He's like, fine, you know, let's do this. And then runs away, joins witness protection, is, is just haul, going. It's so bad, he's willingly going to New Jersey. <laughs> And this is a point where, you know, we have kind of the familiar character trope of if you give, you know, the person this, you know, this woman who's going to change him, make him a better man, you have to kill her. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it it was kind of like, ah, because you really wanted to believe in him. And that's what made it so much so heartbreaking is you you wanted, you were cheering for him. Like you wanted to see the, I'm a sucker for villain redemption. It so rarely happens, but every time I, I buy into it. And unfortunately, uh, Oksana is killed uh, in an attack by the new rhino. And we just see Alexi lose his mind, get the old rhino suit out of storage, and just go nuts, completely unleashed. I mean, at this point, it's no longer a Spider-Man story. There is nothing Spider-Man can do in this situation. It is brutal, and it is awesome. (laughs) See, there's the two problems that I have with this, which is, I mean, again, it's a phenomenal story. Recommend it to people. Dig out these back issues. Definitely read them. But the fact that it fell on that mm-hmm. familiar ground really disappointed me because there was a lot of ways that it could have been handled where it still would not have counted as a quote unquote win for Spider-Man. A lot of ways wherein it still wouldn't have fell on this. There are, I could think of quite a few of them just literally right here. So there's different things that could have been done and there could have been much more done with the new Rhino. If they had given him much, a a much better story as well. And that's my second problem. The second Rhino, the new Rhino, you don't get nearly enough backstory on it. You don't care about him. He doesn't come off as someone with any depth whatsoever, which is disappointing in a story. That's all about character 
depth and he's just basically so two-dimensional it's unbelievable so had they spent a lot more time working on that then he could have been the rhino that replaces rhino been just as interesting just as much fun to to read and just as dangerous for for spider-man but instead they went the the route that is expected mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's unfortunate the thing with exana because it's some it's a storytelling cliche we see yeah. all too many times especially in comics and like it i i can't think of another area where we see it as often as we do in in comics and it's like i'm i'm kind of over it at this point yeah no i agree all right and finally we have shed oh the before, lizard hold story. on hold on oh oh i'm sorry freaking art in this deserves props if for yes. no other for Two seconds to say, holy crap and hell, the art in this was amazing. Absolutely loved it. And not just the the inks, the pencil and inks, the color in this is amazing. Like whether you're watching a bright open scene, the night scenes where the artist was not afraid to use darks properly and to really shade it so that you, you can feel the mood. Like again, when when Spider-Man's talking to um, to Rhino outside of the shop kind of thing. Man, unbelievable. And then the scene where the new Rhino throws the horse yes. on Any top of him. that can draw a panel of somebody getting beaten with a horse, horse? <laughs> is okay by me. Wow. So, yeah, this was amazing art. <laughs> Even to the point where I think it was Nora went, that's not right. Yeah, that's <laughs> Actually, she swore in it. <laughs> <laughs> all right then as i was saying we have shed our lizard story running from 630 to 633 written by zeb wells art by chris bacallo emma rios tim townsend jamie mendoza and antonio fabella and holy bacallo this was ridiculous and i'm not just talking the you know the 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 actual pencils and everything itself. But this is one of those things that Bacallo does better than just about anybody in the business. And that's, I don't even want to call them panel layouts because at some points he just forgets about panels altogether, (laughs) but his overall page layouts and the way he stacks images and just the flow and the, the, this guy is ridiculous. He's been around for a long time and he has only gotten better over the years. The scene with Madam Webb, where she's got the web behind her and inside the web, he uses that as panels for what's going on. What the crap? <laughs> like it was amazing. All of the art. The only thing that I didn't like about this is, and I mean, you got to cut him some slack because obviously he's putting a lot of work in these, but you have some issues where pages one to nine is somebody else. And then him, it's after kind of thing. And it really, we've talked about this before, so there's not a, much sense going too long into it but it breaks an issue apart for me and i hated when they do that yeah i mean, I think emma rios is probably the closest you're going to come to somebody who can pretend to fit with bacallo but i mean it, it, he's just so unique nothing is going to mesh with that yeah that scene where the first one where you see the two panel spread of when he's turned it into the lizard and he's still got his lab coat on kind of thing. And it says the shed part one. Holy, I I can't even imagine how many hours went into just that one double panel. Yeah. Frame worthy (laughs) is what it is. There, there are plenty of those in these four issues. I I think he also, because they actually followed up the story in the, uh, 
adjectiveless X-Men. And it, that was drawn by Bacallo as well. And it was just as mind-blowing, just as amazing. Yeah. All right. So anyway, story starts off and we had, like I said, we had a lot of other events running through this. A lot of stuff going on with Peter's life. We have, you know, his quote unquote relationship with the black cat. We have, you know, his romance with Carly forming. We have him still trying to connect with MJ, if not romantically, at least in other ways. And as you said, Auntie May. (laughs) So we have all this great character stuff going on with Peter. In the middle of, again, what I thought was a very, very good villain-centric story. It was fantastic. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And and if, and again, here's a character that, by giving him that, that additional personality now, mm-hmm. that he's arguing with himself and battling with himself in a way that's much more visible for us as readers kind of thing, it really adds extra layers of depth to that villain as well. I really dug these. But again, it's like you're saying too. I mean, it's those moments are, are interspersed amongst these fantastic character development things. I mean, all the stuff going on with Black Cat because you isn't it during this as well where he's trying to get the serum back or his own blood back because mm-hmm. that's what was being used by negative for the poison. So you have all the stuff with Black Cat, but then of course you have to have the stuff where they're discussing their relationship that's not really a relationship and then how that affects him going after Carly or wanting to be Carly. And, and of course it's Harry that is the voice of reason here when they talk kind of thing. So you have all of these very mature relationship issues happening at the same time, not to mention all the stuff with Auntie May, like you're saying. So just like we've been saying lately with a lot of the superior Spider-Man stuff, a lot of the, you, you have to not just balance the Parker and the Spider-Man, but in a lot of ways, if you can make the Parker be the most interesting stuff, then you really have a, a winning issue because we can relate to that more. Yeah, absolutely. As for the stuff we can't relate to is the guy that turns into a lizard. But you looked at uh, with Sandman and Rhino, you had these two characters that didn't have a whole lot of depth to them previously. Well, with Kurt Connors, he had a lot of depth to him because he he was a pretty well-developed character in his own right with his battle with the lizard, you know, all the stuff he went through with his family and, and all that. So, like you said, with that additional personality that they have now laid on top of Connors, it made it that much better because what they're going through here is that, you know, the the hypothesis, if you will. They, they established that, you know, everybody has basically two brains, if you want to call it the mammal brain, which is, you know, our conscious thought, and then the lizard brain, which is just our base instincts. And with Connors, the lizard brain is a little more established to the point where it's its own persona, if you will. And we see throughout the, the first issue, Connors and the lizard battling with each other. And they're completely different outlooks on you know life you know the lizard brain only cares about mating eating and proving it's the strongest you know connor's is a little more subtle than that and the way they kept establishing it with you know connor's with his lab assistant how i i I have to believe connor's himself wasn't interested but when that lizard brain keeps poking you know like hey female hey mate hey you know prove prove your dominance over the other males around and you're like it it was so good because you knew it was not going to end well for 
any of them. It was good, but those are the few moments as well where I was not as crazy with this constant the the, the mating thing where it's it's not just dominance over males, it's dominance over the females True. and you get these rapey scenes kind of things. Like the the one where the everybody's being affected as well and you have that one guy jump the girl Mm-hmm. That in the dog walking park kind of thing, there was a few things that it was like that could have stayed out, and there could have been less attention just on the wanting to rape every woman in sight kind of thing. Yeah, well, well, it may be correct in nature; it doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be portrayed exactly. on panel. I agree. So we have the lizard at this point completely taking over again, just going nuts. Great, great artwork, as we said. It you cannot understate it enough, and. Now we have the interesting point where the lizard persona is coming into its own. It wants to get rid of Connors. It wants to just be the lizard, not the lizard and Connors sharing one body. And this is where we have, again, that kind of natural thing of Connors has a son. And, you know, in, in the lizard world, if you will, that son is, per, is seen as the lizard as a potential rival male down the line. Well, when you have a rival male... You raid the nest, you know, you, you assert your dominance as, you know, the alpha of, you know, the jungle. And I, I'm trying to make a lot of metaphors here. Basically, he kills the kid and it was rough. Like I <laughs> very rarely in a Spider-Man comic does something like this happen. And Spider-Man has always been, you know, the the fun character, which when you get the occasional truly dark story it hits that much harder because this isn't the kind of stuff we expect out of a Spider-Man comic. And again, this was one of those things where I knew that he had killed his son, but I didn't know when it had mm-hmm. happened kind of thing or, or how. So it was kind of nice to read that origin little story as well to, to be able to piece that together. Um, in all honesty, I actually thought that they could have gone even darker with it because I didn't think that, it, you don't. You don't see quite enough, and I can I can appreciate the wise kind of thing, mm-hmm. but based on you know a lot of other stuff we've seen in comics, I think that they could have gone a little bit darker on it and spent a little bit more time with with Peter coming to grips with it as well, because you you get some, but I don't know. I just felt that it could have been even more impactful. I'm okay with the the way they went with it. Right. Yeah. Said if it hadn't been a Spider Man comic, I could probably agree with you, but at least said there's there's certain levels that that you know you can do stuff in a batman comic that you can't do in a superman comic well you can do stuff in wolverine that you can't do in spider-man is the way i look at it yeah and now with uh with billy connor's dead kurt connor's just completely regresses that persona is gone and we now get a new lizard he literally sheds his skin and has this new appearance and can now start to affect those around him you know unlocking their lizard brains if you will i love and god again and we're going to talk about the artwork because not only do you have this awesome looking lizard but you have all the other little lizards that are swarming around him and it's just it's so detailed and amazing and god i can't, <laughs> it's really good guys yeah, it is and it, you have some cool stuff like i said it gets a little over the top once he, you know, unlocks the, you know, the instincts of, you know, random New Yorkers. Things get a little uh, uncomfortable. But I liked how when he unlocked Peter's lizard brain and it took over, all it sees is this more powerful rival and 
it flees. You know, Petey just hauls out of there. He's a broken mess. <laughs> that was really cool because you don't see Spider-Man run. No matter how outmatched he is, he does not run away. But <laughs> as we see here, quite frequently, it's a, it's a situation where he should. Well, see, this actually, you don't get the... the well, you kind of do from years of having read it, but you, you really get the, the why for this later on in Grim Hunt, where he is giving Kane crap for wanting to run and saying, no, that's not what we do. It doesn't matter. It's our responsibility to fight mm-hmm. against it. And you see that his base nature is to run, but he, his brain is what fights against that and says, no, it's our responsibility to do the right thing. So here, because that brain isn't communicating well enough and you're just getting those base instincts, it makes sense that he will just run and be afraid. Mm-hmm. And I like how the story even turned that around where now that uh, the lizard has full control over his own mind, he's taking on aspects of the mammal brain where it's not right to go running around just <laughs> in your skin. You know, you, you need clothes <laughs> and, and things like where he realizes, you know, what the mammals have done, you know, by not purely following instincts and how he rethinks the situation. Like Spider-Man doesn't beat the lizard. The lizard just decides to go away for a little while and takes a completely different approach to now how he does things. I said, we saw a lot of the payoff of that in the uh, X-Men series they did. And then even later on in superior, was it superior? Or was it still amazing when uh, they did that storyline with the lizard? I think it was amazing. Yeah, it was still amazing. Yeah. And lizards kicking around somewhere in superior, but Lizard and his posse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, again, it takes a character who, at least, like I said, at this point was established, made them that much more interesting. And by making the adversary more interesting, you make the hero more interesting. And like I said, that's one thing I've always admired about Spider-Man. It, pretty much more than any other hero out there is how well-developed his villains are and how much they relate to him. And that that is an important aspect of the story you have to get right in order to do Spider-Man properly. Yeah. All right. Enough about Spider-Man on to what we're reading where I'm going to talk about ultimate Spider-Man. <laughs> they, they have the whole cataclysm thing going on. And honestly, I'm kind of just waiting it out. <laughs> I, like the first issue of cataclysm was like, uh, okay, I'll check it out a month or so down the road and see where things have gone. But I'm continuing to read at least the ultimate Spider-Man tie-in because, well, it's Bendis and Miles and all the other characters that I love. And this was just, again, really good. And the cliffhanger. I hate you, Bendis. Don't the last it. page of this comic. I was like, no, you you cannot do that. Don't say you, it. I haven't read it. Son of Shut I'm going to mute you. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read that one yet. I was reading an article somewhere yesterday talking about how now we've gone a full year with two really good Spider-Man comics, neither of which features Peter Parker. And I just, I love that because even though Peter Parker may not be the main character, he's still felt throughout both of these comics and through all the character development he's received over the years, it makes these new interpretations of Spider-Man that much more interesting. You know, it's funny because having read, going back and reading these old Spider-Man ones, I was wondering if nostalgia would really kick in and I would be like, oh yeah, it's time to bring him back in Superior. 
and it doesn't. I'm still okay with him being gone. Still, yeah, and it's not. It's 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 just that I am so digging what Slot is doing right now, and the character, the Auto Parker is. I don't know. Right for for now, it's more fun to read and is opening itself up to such amazing character development stories that. No, I didn't feel that at all. I'm still. It made me want more superior Spider-Man right now. Yeah, you know, maybe once we see how the Venom thing plays out, and we have Goblin yeah. Nation coming up, you know, maybe after another dozen or so issues, we'll reach the point where we're like, okay, I think we've seen everything we want to see out of Auto Spidey, and it's time to bring Pete back. But as of right now, no, nah, definitely. All right. Also, <laughs> the superior foes of Spider. <laughs> if you had told me that a comic starring the shocker and boomerang would seriously be one of my favorite comics every month. I would have laughed at you so hard, especially written by Nick Spencer, a guy who has all of the potential in the world who, and has never really followed through on it. I love this. I love this comic and not just, like I said, the writing is great. There's a page in the latest issue where on the same page, you have a Blade Runner reference, which thumbs up. And Dr. Doom telling an artist to draw him like one of his French girls. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. And I love it because it's handled so beautifully that we're not supposed to like these characters. And they (laughs) – you think Peter has it bad sometimes. He should be one of his – you should see one of his villains (laughs) that they have to go through. And he's worked with some really talented artists. I get it sometimes, you know, the the actual pencil work might not be top of the line, but a lot of the storytelling things they do, the actual way you read the comic, the panel flow, the the things they can do even without dialogue, it's such a great read. I love it. I'm actually a couple of issues behind on that right now. Read it. I know, I know. And then I actually have a good thing to say about a DC comic. I uh, checked out the first issue of the new Justice League 3000, which was something I was looking forward to, based solely on the writers, uh, Keith Giffen, J.M. DeMatteis. I've always liked them, and uh, it's been a long time since the two of them have worked together, so I was interested in seeing what they're going to churn out. And it was very different from what I was expecting, in a good way. I'm not going to ruin anything, but as we know, this is a thousand years in the future. We have a new Justice League. And I was expecting something like what we've seen in Justice League Beyond and right. stuff. You know, new interpretations of the old characters, you know, legacy stuff. Okay, a new person has a ring. No, no. This is the actual Justice League reborn. Like, basically, some company has engineered, you know, this is Clark Ooh. Kent. This is Bruce Wayne. You know, they've cloned new bodies for them. But what's cool is they are aware of the characters they're supposed to be. Like, you know, Clark Kent, the guy who's playing Superman, knows who Clark Kent and Superman is supposed to be because of all the history and, you know, all the stories. But they don't have the actual experiences that made that those characters. Okay, those don't characters. take too much. Spoiler! I'm not <laughs> spoiling anything. <laughs> Seeing how these characters are reacting to each other and how vastly different they are even though they're literally the same people i love it it's a great comic so far first issue i am on board with this one i'm gonna read it tonight okay what have you got for us i got nothing there's a a pause there because i was gonna swear (laughs) (laughs) and i caught myself (laughs) no quacks for you tonight folks (laughs) but i got nothing i was reading freaking spider-man all week 
I didn't have you, time. You, you went above and beyond. You read more than I asked. <gasps> okay, you, so you know what I, I will say then? I will say this. This is for my what we're reading. It's what we're watching. I watched the Flashpoint comic. Um, mm. Not comic, animated. Have you seen that yet? No, I have not. It's 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 not on Netflix yet. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's funny because again, when we talked about it as it was happening, we really loved Flashpoint right up until the end. Like really, really loved it a lot. Come to find out over the years, we were in the minority on that one. I don't care. I don't care. No, I stand. We were I, right. I still stand so, by it. Yeah, <laughs> I stand by it. It was just the ending that sucked, but. With the Justice League cartoon, or I should say the uh, the Flashpoint cartoon, the um, you get all of the awesome and not the bad ending. Hmm. So it works really, really well. Having read all of the side mini uh, story arcs that they had, you get more from watching it. Like case in point, the stuff with Batman, you don't get to see where... His wife, Martha, right? Martha, yes. Um, is the Joker. But, but it's implied. You see her become the Joker. But if but you might not clue in and say, oh my God, she's the Joker in this universe kind of thing. Um, you might just think that she's laughing maniacally. and you know. But, but anyways, you get a little bit more if you've read them. But with the exception of a few points where... It could have been explained a little bit better for those who hadn't read all of the side stories. Man, it was fantastic. And the stuff with the Flash, oh my God. Because remember, this is the stuff where he he had gone back to try to save his mother. And mm-hmm. it led to all of this. So you're having those moments where he has to come to terms with that. And to stop himself from doing it again. So there's like some really, really awesome stuff in there. It was, it was I really enjoyed it a lot. Cool, cool. So, cool. yep, that's it. All right. Well, then for this week's new releases, oh my God, this is a heck of a week. I'm hoping everybody's just kind of loading up so they don't have to release anything on Christmas <laughs> because, oh boy, Marvel brings us all new X-Men number 20, Avengers Assemble number 22, Cataclysm Ultimate X-Men number two, Daredevil 34, Deadpool 21, Fantastic Four and FF, both number 15, Indestructible Hulk 17, Scarlet Spider 25, which is the last issue for that run, Superior Spider-Man 24, Superior Spider-Man Team Up number 8, Thor God of Thunder 16, The Thunderbolts Annual for 2013 number 1, I get, it's a whole thing, (laughs) Uncanny Avengers number 15, as well as Uncanny X-Force number 15, and Young Avengers number 14. From DC, we have issue 26 for Animal Man, Red Hood and the Outlaws, Supergirl, and Wonder Woman. We also have Forever Evil Rogues Rebellion number three. And if this is your thing, we have the Harley Quinn number one after the number zero that came out a while back that I didn't read. And from our smaller publishers, IDW is just cranking out this week. We have Ghostbusters number 11, Godzilla Rulers of Earth number 7, Lock and Key Alpha number two, the final Lock and Key comic ever. I'm like several years behind on that, You're so I guess now I need to catch up. Samurai Jack number three, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 29. Roger, your Christmas homework is to catch up on Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and you Transformers t- Robots in Disguise number 24. From Image, here's another one. We have Black Science oh number two, God. East of West number eight, Pretty Deadly number three, Saga number 17, and Umbral number two. Crap. It's not fair. 
that all of that is coming out in one week. That's why you're working overtime. <laughs> like, oh, all these great comics that I can't read. <laughs> and we also have Eternal Warrior number four from Valiant. So that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. We are taking next week off for the holidays, so we will see everybody in two weeks. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. So until that two weeks from now, thanks for listening. And a very quick plug, make sure to check out our latest episode of Popcorn Ronin where we talked about The Hobbit. It was actually a really, really fun episode. We had a blast with that. If you are some of the people that have either recently seen or going to see the second Hobbit, you might want to just listen to what our thoughts were on the first one. So just go to popcornronin.com. You're so great at marketing. I try. (laughs) It's (laughs) cross-promotion stuff. (laughs) Sneak that in, people won't even notice it. <laughs>